0: Morning everyone, I greet you in Jesus' name and invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount uh, chapter 7. Now we went through uh, we were in Matthew a year ago, we went into another scripture passage for a while, and then back to Matthew, and then Peter, and we're back in Matthew again. So I think it was uh, at least a year ago that uh, <clears throat> we were in this in this passage. I read through Matthew just uh, maybe a month or so ago, and I was struck by this the Sermon on the Mount again, and this passage particularly. And I'd like to read a few of these verses. Beginning at verse 1. And I'll read from the uh, New King James here. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, It will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now this is getting near the end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful message. A sermon uh, describing the high standards of God's holiness and the standards to which all of God's people are called. The Beatitudes. What a challenge to read those. What a blessing to read those. He talks about being salt and light in a sinful world. He talks about attitudes toward other people. Hatred and anger. He talked about moral purity, about divorce and remarriage, swearing of oaths, non-resistance, about giving alms, about praying, and about fasting, and about trusting in God instead of material things, and uh, balancing what is the importance of material things, how we should look at that. And that's that's just a very uh, cursory summary. It is a very high standard and it's a challenge to us. And there's a lot there to measure ourselves by. And God would want us to. He gave that to us. He wants us to see ourselves. It's also a standard by which we can measure others, isn't it? And here in chapter 7, He says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, before we go further, and we may touch on this uh, in other spots, but there is a right kind of judgment in the sense of discernment and an estimation of where others are, of where other people are at. And... We need some discernment in verses 3 through 5 to see beams, to see moats. He doesn't say we'll not see anything in other people. In verse 15, where he said, beware of false prophets we need to discern who a false prophet is. And in 1 John 4, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So how do we discern them? By their teaching compared to the Word. And we're often told in the Scripture that we are to watch one another in a caring way, looking diligently from Hebrews 12, verse 15. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and many be defiled. So how do we discern that? Uh, Bitter words. We can hear people speaking bitterly about others or about their circumstances. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, Titus 3.10. So somehow that needs to be discerned. Divisive words and actions. Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly a lack of cooperation and submission, 2 Thessalonians 3.6, and so forth. So there is a right discernment, but God is telling us, Jesus is telling us here in this part of the Sermon on the Mount to judge not. And we want to understand what that is, and we don't want to do it. It involves... A wrong attitude, for one. A wrong attitude. A judgmental attitude. A critical attitude toward other people. Often edged with a harshness, even. It includes uh, being unmerciful, often. A suspicious baleful even look at others and what they do. And it's quick to think critically and to find more satisfaction in justice served than mercy and redemption. And quick to condemn without having the whole picture, how easily that happens. And surmising evil, of others, so it can involve a wrong attitude. It's a lack of love. If we really understand what love is and how it is to operate, it, there's a there's a lack there of love, a wrong attitude. It often involves wrong discernment. There is discerning going on, and a judgment, a, a decision, a thought about. Whatever we see, but it is a discernment often that is really beyond man's capacity to discern because, you know, and I've been there, it often goes deep into the hearts and motives of other people, into places that we can't see and know. Only God uh, sees the heart. In, In 1 Corinthians, in the second chapter, it talks about the things that God knows and we don't. And the things that God sees and we don't. But it says in verse 11 this, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So uh, he's saying that we can only know the things about what God thinks uh, by the spirit of God. But he's using as a parallel, I can't know what Amos is thinking. uh, Because that's a deep, dark secret. You know, he may tell me, but I can't see into his heart. God sees into his heart and God sees his motives. God sees mine and you may guess what they are. And sometimes you may be right and sometimes you may be wrong. But there is a, a discernment often kind of settled in our minds that goes where we really don't know. God is the one who divides asunder the soul and spirit, determining the thoughts and intents of others. From Hebrews 4. Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. So actions, words, those are things we can see. If somebody passes us on the road, and we're cruising along at the speed limit, and they go by, we can discern they're going over the speed limit. Can we decide that is a rebel? Maybe maybe it's an emergency. Maybe he just came off the turnpike or... Interstate, and he hadn't acclimated to the back roads yet, and is just absent mindedly going too fast. If you were on your way to work, you go to work every morning about that time, and every morning this guy goes by you, whoo, every morning, then maybe you'd start to wonder. A little more. You might have a little more of a case. If it is one of your brothers in the church, maybe sometime soon you'd want to pay him a visit. But what I'm saying is, very often we don't know. In fact, I heard, read a little story uh, just uh, not long ago. Uh, Caleb Cryder. Uh, knew this neighbor of his who was going west on route 66 from washington and heading home from work and he changed lanes quickly and he cut off the car behind him he didn't intend to do that but uh when the this man passed him just a little bit later the driver gestured at him very angrily. And this upset Steve, the neighbor. And he he was stewing about what this man did. And then traffic came to a stop. There were lights flashing up ahead. There was an accident. And Steve sat waiting in his car for things to clear. And right in front of him, Well, this was this angry man. And uh, as he sat there waiting, suddenly the door opened of the car and this gentleman gets out and starts coming back to Steve's car and he's wondering what is going to happen now. He was very apprehensive. He rolled down his window and he tried to explain, I just, I just needed to get into this lane. I, wasn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. But the driver, he was an elderly man, had come back to apologize to him for gesturing rudely at him. He said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten upset at you. You see, our daughter was killed in a car accident on Interstate 395 earlier this week, and we're on the way home from the funeral. And suddenly, the whole picture changed for Steve, and his anger was gone. I'm so sorry, he said. We can't see what's in other people's hearts, especially strangers, you know. We, we can't see what's there and don't know what's, what's all going on. So we need to be careful with our attitudes. Other New Testament teachings are consistent. Consistent. And we would expect them to be with what Jesus taught here in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to James 4, a couple of verses there. Beginning at verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So the teaching here don't speak evil, don't speak critically. If you do, you're speaking evil and criticizing the law because you're doing what the law says don't do. And by not obeying it, you're not showing respect to it. You're not showing that it's worthy to be kept. There is one lawgiver, one judge, God. Who are you to assume that position? Turn to Romans 14 and verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block for an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Do not set at naught. Do not look down on and despise other people. We shall all stand before the judgment day, before God, all on the same level. So, again, this is not saying be blind and undiscerning, but don't set yourself up as uh, a helper to God in uh, judging others with a judgmental attitude. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, um, back in chapter 6, 14 and 15, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, this is after the Lord's Prayer, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will Your Father, forgive your trespasses. And in in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain the mercy. And here in verse 1, judge not that ye be not judged. With what measure ye judge, you will be judged. If we want full justice to be done to others, without mercy for others, that's what we will face. That's how we will be looked at. And then he talks about the mote and the beam, which is familiar to us in verses 3 and 4. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? I read that the word "beholdest" is uh, means to be looking at something from a distance, from the outside, looking on uh, something or someone else, and and it's it's farther away. You're not seeing it as clearly. That's beholdest. Considerest is as from within, looking at what is there within. Self. And our tendencies, our nature is to do more beholding than considering. It's just part of the nature of fallen man. And it's it's uh, something that I have to watch. It's a tendency of man. So we're familiar with how this the illustration works, the moat being a small speck of something, a sawdust, a splinter representing a small fault in someone else, and then the beam or plank or log, depending what translation you read, is a major fault of our own, and it's illustrating that common... Tendency of picking out a small flaw, flaw or character problem, character deficiency in someone else while overlooking a more serious one in ourselves. You remember the story of David, King David, and Bathsheba. And you remember the story that uh, the prophet Nathan told David when he came to confront him about his sin, And he said, there was a poor man that had a pet lamb. This pet lamb was like a child in his own family. This pet was loved. It was part of the family. A rich neighbor had a lot of sheep a lot of things. And one day he had company and rather than kill one of his own sheep, he had someone grab that pet lamb of his poor neighbors and prepare it for a meal for for his visitor. And you remember how when David heard this story, he took it to be a fact And he was incensed. He was angry. He said that man deserves to die for that. Well, that was was a bad thing. That was not good at all. But David, what had David done? He had committed adultery. He had committed murder. That inherent old nature just has a, that's uncrucified, tends to see so clearly the faults in other people, but it makes it easy, easier to excuse our own. And Jesus said, hypocrite, how inconsistent. And his illustration uh, shows, emphasizes how ridiculous it is. So, the correct procedure is to get rid of the beam, to take care of our own faults. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote. Out of thy brother's eye. That's a great lesson. Now there's still an obligation to help our brother. In Galatians 6:1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit. Of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And later on in Matthew, in chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, go to him. There's an obligation. We have an obligation. The spiritual ones, are those whose own sins are confessed and they see themselves as on the same level, not as a judge looking down from a bench, looking down superior and so forth, but he recognizes his own faults and he comes with charity and meekness. Not a harsh, I'm here to straighten you out. Or a condescending, hold still here little fellow. and Let me just point out a few flaws that I can help you with. God's way is much more effective. First to be firm with ourselves and then gentle and merciful with others. And when I was studying this, I thought about the story in Luke 18. Maybe I'll, let's just turn there quickly. Luke 18, very familiar. Uh, verse 9, a parable, well, verse 10 a parable about people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I'm reading this from the New King James. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Or a publican as is familiar to us. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, this publican, just a few feet away, he wouldn't be standing very close to him, but across the temple from him. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven But beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I would ask you if uh, there was something wrong in your heart, in your life and God would nudge someone to come and talk to you about it, who would you rather approach you about that fault? That self-righteous Pharisee or that humble and broken publican? Who would you rather have approach you about a fault? Well, I know who I would choose. I believe that that publican would come like uh, Paul described in Galatians, coming humbly and meekly and with care and charity, recognizing he has had a huge plank or planks, Dealt with in his own life. He dealt with them. He knows mercy. He's grateful for mercy. He worships God. Thanks God. For his mercy. He wants mercy for this brother. I just don't. Somehow, I don't pick up any merciful vibes from this Pharisee, do you? I don't. God is a God of much mercy and grace. And that gives us much hope and comfort for ourselves. And God's people should offer that to each other. So we first look at ourselves, we look at ourselves and would you believe it, we find planks. We read the Sermon on the Mount and we see planks. So we've been reminded here that we'll stand before the judge, that we're all in need of mercy here and we've Noticed a couple of those scriptures about judgment, and so we we know that we need mercy ourselves, and we know that God commands us to love. Am I loving others as Christ loves me? And there are so many scriptures in the New Testament, so many scriptures about the love we're to have for other people, everyone. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 is one example. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more in love. Above all things have fervent charity, said Peter. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins where the, uh, where the judgmental person would notice every little speck, every little sin and flaw and be happy to point them out to other people, to the person that is carrying the speck or whoever. but charity covers a multitude of sins. And what it's talking about is the uh, the irritations and the flaws, and uh, it's not saying we overlook sin that it isn't to be dealt with, but we're to love each other deeply. We're to forgive, forget, and be willing to overlook the humanity of our brothers and sisters and other folks. Love doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs, Art of covering the multitude of sins, I believe, that Peter was talking about. It isn't pleased to hear a bad report about someone else. It won't give a bad report about others, but rather is happy when people are living by the truth. jumping away from that a couple of verses he says therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you do you do ye even so to them for this is the law and the prophets treat others as we would wish to be treated there uh, that's the golden rule very famous Very, uh, a very high golden rule that Jesus gave. There are other forms of that rule actually, even before Jesus gave this here in the Sermon on the Mount. And one example that was preserved was given by a teacher uh, to a Gentile who asked him for a brief. Summary of the Law and the Prophets. And this was the way he summed it up. What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. Maybe that's a silver rule. What is hateful to you, don't do to others. But Jesus is higher and more precious. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye to them. For this is the law of the prophets. God calls us to fairness, to mercy and humility. In Micah, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to be fair, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. In Luke 6, a companion passage, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Judge not that ye, shall, that ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Back to Motes and beams. It is from that kind of a platform, from that kind of a heart, that we can speak to others with credibility when we have with integrity before God looked at ourselves and see what God sees. And we repent. And we commit ourselves anew, and we are humble because we know we are weak and we know we fail, that gives credibility when we talk to someone else. It makes us more effective in seeing and understanding and dealing with specs if we have dealt with beams And we all need that. We all need people around us. We need the help from God. So we don't lift ourselves above others and overlook our own faults. But we meekly and humbly consider ourselves. And we do think of the needs around us. But we desire... Mercy and growth and victory for them as we do for ourselves. This, uh, these next verses that I read through that we're not going to spend time here on except In verse 7 of Matthew 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. In in some ways, uh, you know, as far as the moat and beam lesson, this is a separate lesson but it is very much linked to it as it is to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And we know why, don't we? It's it's because we can't live the Sermon on the Mount without the help of God. That's what it is. So this ask and seek and knock—it's about prayer. We've already had the, the Lord's Prayer uh, earlier in the in the sermon, but this is a powerful promise to us. Ask and seek and knock. And if you look in other translations, you'll see it clearly that. This is asking and seeking and knocking. It's not just a little whim, a momentary wish. I wish I could be like Jesus is. There is a, there's a deep longing. There is a continual asking and seeking and knocking. And the promise is that it will be given and that we will find and that the door will be opened to us. So may the Lord help us. May the Lord bless us. And may he receive all the glory. Shall we have a closing song?